Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 181 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of hackers that have disrupted European oil terminals. Staying with hackers causing disruption, we also have news that hackers have disrupted the supply of KP Nuts and associated crisp brands. We then travel to Chelmsford in Essex, where the Sandon School has had a data breach. And we then travel to Dorset, where two NHS trusts have both had data breaches. We then have news of a third-party data breach, which has affected the British Council. And we then travel to Norfolk, where a new dating app, Norfolk Dates, has suffered a data breach. We then travel to China and guidance from the FBI that athletes have been warned not to take personal smartphones to the Winter Olympics. We then have news about a compensation settlement in the long-running data breach affecting Equifax. We then have news which could affect thousands of companies in that the IAB Europe TCF has been found to be incompatible with GDPR. We then travel to Latin America where Securitas has had data breaches involving several Latin American airports. And we then travel to Washington in the USA, where the Department of Licensing has had a data breach. And we then travel to New Jersey, where Artec have reached a settlement after a data breach. And then to Maine, where the Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association has declared a data breach. We then travel to France, where the Conseil d'État has confirmed Google's penalty imposed by CNIL. And then to Greece, where a number of telecommunications companies have been fined for data breaches. We then return to the UK and look at possible changes to UK GDPR to be included within the Brexit Freedom Bill. And then finally this week, we have new guidance from the EDPB on how you should deal with data subject access requests. So there's always a wide range of articles for you this week. We do hope you find the information useful and informative. As always, we do really value your feedback. So if you have any feedback for us, do please email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Sound 67. Come along and say hello. And we begin this week with news that European oil facilities have been hit by a cyber attack. IT systems have been disrupted at oil tanking in Germany, C-Invest in Belgium and EVOS in the Netherlands. In total, dozens of terminals of oil storage and transport around the world have been affected, with firms reporting that the attacks occurred over the last weekend. But experts caution against assuming that this attack is coordinated. It's understood that all three companies' IT systems went down or were severely disrupted. Belgian prosecutors say they're investigating the cyber attack that's affected C-Invest terminals, including the company's largest in Antwerp called C-Tank. A spokeswoman for the company said they were hit on Sunday with every port they run in Europe and Africa affected. The company is working to get a backup IT system online but says that most liquid transportation is operational. The spokeswoman said SEA Invest is aware of the cyber attacks against other companies but investigations have not determined if there's any link. A spokesperson for EVOS in the Netherlands said that IT services at terminals in Tunisland, Ghent and Malta have caused some delays in execution. On Monday, oil tanking Deutschland GmbH and Co. KG, which stores and transports oil, vehicle fuels and other petroleum products, said it had also been hacked. The company was forced to operate at a limited capacity and was investigating the incident, it said. 
Some reports suggest the attack on oil tanking is ransomware, where hackers scramble data and make computer systems inoperable until they get paid a ransom. In May last year, a ransomware attack on US oil supplier Colonial Pipeline saw supplies tightened across the east coast of the US and multiple US states declaring an emergency. An employee of a major barging company in the Netherlands said that the port supply chains were disrupted. The worker said they first noticed problems on Tuesday when oil deliveries started slowing down. He said things are moving, but much slower than normal. The disruption comes as tensions remain high between Ukraine and Russia and as concern over rising energy prices grows right across Europe. But cybersecurity experts caution against jumping to the conclusion that multiple incidents are the result of a coordinated effort to disrupt the European energy sector. Another possible explanation could be that all companies use the same software for operations that may have been compromised by hackers. If we get any update on this, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Disruption of a different kind now, and KP Snacks, the maker of some of the UK's most popular crisps and nuts, has warned suppliers that a ransomware attack has left it unable to safely process orders or dispatch goods. The company makes popular brands such as Hula Hoops, McCoys, Discos and KP Nuts and said that an attack in January had crippled its IT and communication systems according to letters issued to partner stores. After an initial investigation of an IT outage on Friday the 28th of January, KP said it was able to confirm this week that its systems had been compromised by ransomware. Through the weekend, our IT team and third-party experts have been assessing the scale of the intrusion and continue to do so, KP said in a letter to partners. As a result, at this stage, we cannot safely process orders or dispatch goods. The Conti ransomware group has taken credit for the attack and it appears the outfit has access to credit card statements, employee contact details and other sensitive information. Conti's involvement is also corroborated by security researchers Dark Feed, which tweeted that the group had given Tapey Snacks five days in which to negotiate before the data is leaked on their public blog. It isn't clear if KP is negotiating with the hackers, although it has brought in legal advice. As soon as we became aware of the incident, we enacted our cybersecurity response plan and engaged the leading forensic information technology firm and legal counsel to assist us in our investigation, a spokesperson for KP Snacks said. Our internal IT teams continue to work with third-party experts to assess the situation. KP's supply chain has been directly affected by the attack, with delivery and order issues expected to continue through to the end of March, at the earliest, the company said. Conti Ransomware is a relatively new strain of malware that is peddled by the same organisation that operated the riot man- ransomware. The group is also known by the monitor Wizard Spider, and is thought to be a Russian-linked operation based in St. Petersburg. The group has previously been classed as a ransomware-as-a-service operation, where its main members have supplied the malware to paid affiliates who then use it to breach the infrastructure of a victim for a percentage of the profit. The firm has had a lot of success since coming to notoriety in 2020. In September, Conti was used to shut down the entire IT system for Ireland's health services executive. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com to Chelmsford in Essex now and parents at the Sandon School in Chelmsford received emails with details of students which is alleged to have included full names of children with special educational needs and what those needs are. It's been alleged that the document which has been sent to parents last Friday, January 28th, also outlined children's mental states amongst other details. Concerned parents of students at the school said that the email was sent to all parents at the Comprehensive Academy School via their internal EduLink platform. 
The sentence stored to affirm the incident had occurred and stated that the information was relating to a limited number of students which was shared with a section of parents. That is, that they regret the incident happened and have reviewed internal processes to ensure that a data breach like this doesn't happen again. Mr Andy Weaver, head teacher at the Sandon School, said, We confirmed that on Friday, January 28th, there was a data breach at the school where information relating to a limited number of students was accidentally shared with a section of the school's parent body. We very much regret this incident and the breach is being reported to the Information Commissioner's Office. We've reviewed our internal processes to ensure that this can never happen again. If we get any further feedback on this from the school or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. The private data of thousands of NHS patients across Dorset was breached during a five-year period, making them among the worst for data breaches in the country. A new study has shown that Dorset Healthcare University NHS Foundation Trust experienced the fourth highest number of data breaches in the UK, however the trust says it's not the whole story. Security website vpnoverview.com sent out freedom of information requests to 229 NHS foundations regarding data breaches. Of those, 152 responded. This included Dorset Healthcare University NHS Foundation Trust, who have recorded 3,017 total data breaches from 2016 to 2021. A data breach is an incident where data is seen by an unauthorised individual or group compromising the private nature of the information. Often the cause of these breaches is human error. Breach data range from medication, allergies, test results and health conditions to past and future referrals and appointments. The information is private, confidential and should not be disclosed without the prior consent of the patient. Dorset Healthcare University NHS Foundation Trust also recorded the most breaches in the country between 2020 and 2021 at 672. However, the Trust said that of these instances, just 16 were actually reportable to the National Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, which would place the Trust as being among the best performing in the country. Dave Way, Data Protection Officer and Information Governance Manager at Dorset Healthcare said, We take the security and management of data extremely seriously. Our staff process thousands of pieces of data every day, including entries into the patient medical prescriptions and letters to GPs or specialists, which we have to record on our systems. We encourage staff to report any incident, no matter how small. Of incidents logged during 2016 to 2021, only 16 were actually reportable to the National ICO, a figure which is on a par with the best performing trust in the country. The ICO did not take any action against us for those 16 incidents, either making recommendations or noting it was satisfied with the actions we'd already taken. The vast majority of incidents reported internally are due to things such as outdated or incorrect contact details of patients, sometimes given to us by third parties. Nonetheless, we take all data incidents seriously and are continually looking for ways to minimise human error. Mistakes can happen, but by fostering a culture of staff reporting all incidents, we strive to learn from these mistakes and reduce the possibility of them happening again. Joining the trust in the top 10 was South Western Ambulance Service NHS Foundation Trust which recorded the 7th highest in the UK with 2,458 incidents. The Ambulance Trust covers ambulance services for both Bournemouth and Paul and Dorset Council. However, a spokesperson from the Ambulance Service said the majority of their recorded breaches were low-level and that a recent system issue had massively reduced the number of incidents. They said, We take data checks from our patients, staff and suppliers very seriously. Although any data breach is unacceptable, the majority of the issues reported in the Freedom of Information requests were low-level breaches involving less sensitive information. The breaches in the report also reflect the systems issue that has since been resolved, which has resulted in a near 70% reduction in reported breaches. We remain committed to protecting the privacy of the people we care for and work with, 
in accordance with the law and NHS best practice. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. At least 10,000 records held by the British Council, a public sector organisation that provides English language courses worldwide, was exposed by a third-party data breach. The security incident was reported on December 5th, 2021, by researchers from Savio when they discovered an open and unprotected Microsoft Azure blob repository. A blob container was indexed by a public search engine, said Savio, which they claimed contained more than 144,000 XML, JSON and Excel files. These datasets featured personal data belonging to students from around the world, including full names, email addresses, student IDs, enrolment dates and durations of study. It is unknown for how long this data was available online in public, with no authentication in place. It's understood that researchers contacted the British Council on December 5th, and on December 23rd, the institution confirmed what they had found. Terrier researchers said that the repository had personal and login details of British Council students, potentially putting them and their personal information at risk. A spokesperson for the British Council said that 10,000 records were accessible in a way that should not have occurred. They said, The data in question was held and processed by a third-party service provider. Approximately 10,000 records were accessible in a way that should not have occurred. On becoming aware of this, our third-party service provider immediately secured the records with appropriate controls and the data in question was rendered no longer accessible. We are working with the supplier to ensure similar incidents do not happen in the future. We have reported the incident in accordance with our regulatory obligations and we remain in contact with the ICO should any further action be required. The British Council takes its responsibilities under the Data Protection Act 2018 and the General Data Protection Regulations GDPR very seriously. The privacy and security of personal information is paramount. The British Council, which was founded by the UK government in 1934, promotes cultural relations and educational opportunities overseas. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Norfolk now, and a new Norfolk-based dating show has apologised after breaching data protection laws by sending a mass email to people who'd signed up. Norfolk Dates is an Amazon Prime show airing in 2022 that aims to give viewers an insight into what it's like to date in the county of Norfolk. Those who signed up to receive updates on casting were sent an email on January the 31st at 7.25pm about the app's imminent launch, calling for the applicants to download the app and get matching. However, more than 200 people were included in the email and able to see one another's full names and emails, a breach of GDPR. Producers Stephen Ashcroft and Mo Ali said in a joint statement, Our marketing manager was sending out emails to everyone who signed up for the app launch. Rather than sending them individual emails, he added 200 email addresses into the send column, not realising that recipients would be able to view all the emails included. He then tried to cover up the mistake. It was incompetent, careless and reckless. We are now overseeing the matter personally. We would like to assure you that all the data we hold is safe on our server. We have put new measures in place so something like this does not happen again in the future. We are upset and embarrassed and take full responsibility for this incident. We sincerely apologise and will be contacting everyone concerned. Norfolk Dates is set to be filmed at the Duke of Delhi restaurant in Satslingham Thorpe on the outskirts of Norwich. The matching process for casting will be done through the Norfolk Dates app, which will be available to download over the next fortnight. There will be a swipe to match feature designed solely to pair couples for a TV show. Once people have matched, they can chat to each other and can book in for a casting by visiting the Contact Us section on the app. Single people can also opt in for a blind date and there will be a singles network to make friends. 
Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To China now, and the FBI has urged Olympic athletes to leave personal devices at home due to cyber risk. The FBI says that threat actors could use a broad range of cyber activities, including distributed denial of service attacks or ransomware attacks, to try and disrupt the event. The FBI has urged all athletes to keep their personal smartphones at home and instead use a temporary phone while they're at the Winter Olympics. The organisation has published a notice in which it warns that entities associated with the February 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics and March 2022 Beijing Paralympics that cyber actors could use a broad range of cyber activities to disrupt the event. Additionally, the FBI warned Olympic participants and travellers of potential threats associated with mobile applications developed by untrusted vendors. The download and use of applications, including those required to participate or stay in the country, could increase the opportunity for cyber actors to steal personal information or install tracking tools, malicious code or malware, they said. The organisation recommends that all athletes use a temporary phone, highlighting that the National Olympic Committees in some Western countries are also advising athletes to leave personal devices at home due to cybersecurity concerns at the Games. However, it added that it wasn't aware of any specific cyber threat against the Olympics, but encouraged partners to remain vigilant and maintain best practices in a network and digital environment. It pointed to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics, where there were over 400 million attempted cyber-related incidents during the event, although none were successful due to the cybersecurity measures put in place. The most popular attack methods used were malware, email spoofing, phishing, and the use of fake websites and streaming services designed to look like the official Olympic service providers. The FBI added that the use of new digital infrastructure and mobile applications like digital wallets or applications that track COVID testing or vaccination status could also increase the opportunity for cyber actors to inflict damage. This could allow them to steal personal information or install tracking tools, malicious code or malware. The FBI underlined that athletes will be required to use the MY2022 smartphone app to track their health and travel data. This app was analysed by Citizen Lab researchers who said they found it contained a devastating encryption flaw, which said allowed users' audio and file transfer encryption to be sidestepped. The researchers also said it fails to validate SSL certificates and can be deceived into connecting to a malicious host. There also appears to have been some misinformation surrounding the privacy of the Chinese app, with one researcher claiming that athletes' audio was being collected, analysed and saved on servers belonging to the Chinese artificial intelligence firm, with human rights concerns called iFlyTech. This claim has been shared by US senators and a prominent podcaster on Twitter. However, members of the Information Security Committee said that the researcher's claim is unsubstantiated and any of the evidence provided, even though it's already been shared widely. If we receive any update as the Winter Olympics progress, we will, of course, bring it to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you may remember that way back in Episode 7, we started talking about the data breach at Equifax, and then we brought you updates in Episodes 15, 78, 94, 99, and 146. Well, this week, many people are getting emails about the Equifax data breach settlement and wondering if the emails are authentic. Well, the good news is that as long as it's from the correct email address, the settlement is real, and you can safely click the link. The email says that the eligible claimants will receive access to Experian Identity Works, which is accurate. However, people could be attempting to fish information using a fake email promising something similar. So make sure that the email address is info at equifaxbreachsettlement.com. That's all one word. So info at equifaxbreachsettlement.com. And also make sure that any links send you to 
experianidworks.com forward slash Equifax Settlement. And again, there, Equifax Settlement is all one word. It's important to note that you do not need to provide any payment information to enrol and you do not need to cancel the service when it ends. If you receive any emails regarding Equifax Data Breach Settlement asking for payment information, it's a phishing scam and you should ignore it. You will need to have received the email to take advantage of the offer as there's a code within each one that grants you access to the special predatory monitoring settlement. You'll need to use the code by June the 27th, 2022. As far as what you'll get, the website says this comprehensive product includes credit monitoring from all three bureaus, access to your Experian credit report, internet surveillance, with up to $1 million in identity theft insurance. Additionally, as part of the extract settlement, you are eligible to receive complimentary identity restoration services. The settlement was finalised in January 2022. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. Back in episode 169 of the GDPR Weekly Show, we brought you news that the IAB Europe expected that the Belgian Data Protection Authority would find that the mechanism used to establish consent from users to be tracked online would be found non-compliant with GDPR. And indeed, that has now been confirmed by the Belgian Data Protection Authority. The Belgian Data Protection Authority, acting on behalf of the 27 EU states, effectively ruled that cookies and sent pop-ups had deprived millions of Europeans of fundamental data rights and spells trouble for the likes of Google, Amazon and the entire industry that has sprung up around IAB Europe's Transparency and Consent Framework, TCF, and the OpenRTB real-time bidding system. Real-time bidding is the opaque process behind which the browsing and personal data of internet users is collected and shared through behind-the-scenes auctions, in which it's sold to advertisers to build profiles of web users which in turn are used to tailor the ads people see when browsing the internet. This is the underlying reason for you seeing an advert which is following you around the internet, even if you've never expressed any interest in what the advert is selling. The TCF consent pop-up system underpinning real-time bidding is found to be on 80% of European internet, and the tracking industry had claimed that it was a measure in place to comply with GDPR. However, the authorities have now ruled the system infringes GDPR for several reasons. Firstly, It does not ensure that personal data is kept secure and confidential, which is a breach of Article 5, Paragraph 1 and 32. Secondly, it fails to properly request consent to be tracked, relying on the basis of legitimate interest, which is not permissible because of the risk posed by online advertising tracking, a breach of Article 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph A and Article 6 of GDPR. Thirdly, it is not transparent over what happens to people's data, which breaches Articles 12, 13 and 14 of GDPR. Fourthly, it fails to implement measures to ensure that data processing is done in accordance with GDPR, a breach of Article 24 of GDPR. And finally, it does not respect the requirement for data protection by design, which breaches Article 25 of GDPR. Also, the DPA found that IAB Europe failed to honour its obligations to maintain records of data processing, to conduct a data protection impact assessment, a DPIA, and to appoint a data protection officer, a DPO, all of which are in themselves GDPR breaches. A spokesperson for the Belgian Data Protection Authority said, The processing of personal data, such as capturing user preferences under the current version of the TCF, is incompatible with GDPR due to an inherent breach of the principle of fairness and lawfulness. People are invited to give consent, whereas most of them don't know what their profiles are being sold a great number of times a day in order to expose them to personalised ads. Although it concerns the TCF and not the whole real-time bidding system, our decision today will have a major impact on the protection of the personal data of internet users. 
order must be restored in the TCF system so that users can regain control over their data. The Belgian DPA said IAB Europe seemed to be well aware of the risks linked to non-compliance with GDPR and accused it of negligence. It cited systematic deficiencies in IAB Europe's TCF and noted that it supported a system that ultimately posed great risks to fundamental data rights and freedoms, particularly when considering the sheer scale of the data involved, the profiling activities, the use of the data to predict how people will behave, and the ensuing surveillance of the data subjects. The action against IAB Europe system was initiated by complainants to the Belgian DPA from various organisations in Belgium, the Netherlands, Poland and Ireland. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties coordinated the action. It stems from an initial complaint made in 2018 by Johnny Ryan of the ICCL. Speaking after the ruling, Johnny Ryan said this has been a long battle. Today's decision frees hundreds of millions of Europeans from consent spam and the deeper hazard that their most intimate online activities will be passed around by thousands of companies. The chair of the Belgian DPA, David Stevens, said... Brave little Belgium has once again shown it's not afraid to tackle major cases such as this one, which really concerns all European citizens that shop, work or play online. Online privacy and the fight against two intrusive forms of advertising is an important priority for us. As a result of the ruling, all data collected through the TCF must now be deleted by every company, of which there are over a thousand in total, who pay IAB Europe to use the system. IAB Europe said it annoys the decision, but notes that it stopped short prohibiting the use of the TCF and rejects its key finding that it's a data controller in the context of TCF. We believe this finding is wrong in law, and we have major unintended negative consequences going well beyond the digital advertising industry, an IB spokesperson said. We are considering all options with respect to a legal challenge. Notwithstanding our grave reservations on the substance of the decision, we look forward to working with the APD on an action plan to be executed within the prescribed six months that will ensure the TCF's continuing utility in the market. As previously communicated, it has always been our intention to submit the framework for approval as a GDPR transnational code of conduct. Today's decision would appear to clear the way for that work to begin. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To South America now and Securitas, a leading security services provider of on-site guarding and risk management, suffered a data breach which exposed 1.5 million files. Securitas, based in Sweden and with branches throughout the world, provides a full suite of security services and products for corporate clients across various industries and employs more than 350,000 people in 48 markets worldwide. The data exposure, discovered by the cybersecurity team at Safety Detectives, is believed to impact clients within Latin America in the aviation industry. One of the company's Amazon's S3 buckets was left open, exposing employee personally identifiable information and sensitive company data of at least four airports in Colombia and Peru. El Dorado International Airport, Alfonso Benilla Aragon International Airport, Jose Maria Cordova International Airport in Colombia, and Aeropuerto International Jules Chevet in Peru. Other files may have been exposed for other airports. The Safety Detectives team observed two primary databases containing information of Securitas employees and airport employees, photos of ID cards and other unmarked images, including full names, pictures of employees, occupations and national ID numbers. The bucket contained device models of camera use, GPS locations of photos with coordinates and GPS maps, and times and dates of the photos. Unmarked photos also exposed the data of Securitas clients, airport employees and associated businesses. In addition to exposing photos, the bucket contained data from Securitas mobile apps used by security officers to help with several tasks such as incident reporting. 
While the data itself did not expose any specific sensitive data, the safety detective team warned they could be used to aid in criminal activities. The safety detective cybersecurity team believes that many companies and employees across several industries may be exposed and the impact of the breach spreads further than those organisations alone. The breach could affect airport security and the safety of people who protect the lives of travellers and airport staff if terrorist organisations access the data. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Washington State in the USA now, and the personal information of more than a quarter of a million licensed professionals may have been exposed in a breach of Washington State Department of Licensing database. The agency, which licenses around 40 categories of businesses and professionals, everything from auctioneers and private detectives to, to two artists and real estate agents, said it temporarily shut down its online licensing system, known as Polaris, on January 24th, shortly after learning of suspicious activity involving professional and occupational license data, according to a spokesperson and a statement posted on Thursday on the agency's website. Data stored on Polaris may include social security numbers, birth dates, driver's license numbers and other personally identifiable information, but the agency doesn't yet know whether such data was actually accessed or how many individuals may have been affected. There was also no indication that the incident had affected other agency data such as driver and vehicle licensing information, officials said, as in all other department and licensing systems were operating normally. In the meantime, the shutdown of the Polaris system is causing problems for some professionals and firms that need to apply for, renew or modify their licences. The disruption comes at a busy time for real estate agents, appraisers and home inspectors as the state's real estate market begins to pick up after its typical winter slowdown. Officials at the Office of Cybersecurity sounded the alarm of a possible breach after detecting chatter about the Department of Licensing on the dark web, said State Senator Reuben Tarlyle referring to part of the online world where users can master identities with special technology and where personal data stolen in data breaches is bought and sold. Criminals often use stolen personal data to commit imposter fraud by, for example, filing false tax returns or applying for unemployment benefits, as happened in Washington State in the spring of 2020. A spokesperson for the Department of Licensing said the issue was brought to our attention after someone online claimed to have accessed data. Immediately we began investigating by the afternoon of January 24th, 2022, out of caution we shut down the licensing system. But investigators have yet to include whether personal data was actually removed by hackers or just exposed. Only a thorough investigation to determine whether the data was accessible and whether it was accessed and if it was, what the style of that was. Until then, the spokesman said we just don't have an answer for that. Some users of the website said the Department of Licensing was slow in letting licensees know what was happening. It's frustrating that they didn't notify prospective victims sooner, as Seattle Times reader noted, adding that the Palava system appeared to be under maintenance for more than a week before they sent out an email about a potential breach. Investigators are still trying to find the location of the breach, whether it's an internal problem at the Department of Licensing, for example, or with a vendor or another third party. If we receive any update from the Washington Department of Licensing, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GPL Week Show. To New Jersey in the USA now, an R-Tech information system settled a data breach class action this week for an incident that occurred in January 2020. r will pay up to $10,000 to each individual affected by the breach based on a tiered payment system. r a staffing company specialising in placement for IT staff and project services, was a victim of a ransomware attack in January 2020 that resulted in unauthorised access to confidential information to send about 30,000 current and former employees. During the attack, the hackers opened and downloaded thousands of employee files that contained employees' names, addresses, telephone numbers, social security numbers and dates of birth. 
The unauthorised access occurred over a three-day period, but upon discovery, Artec was able to mitigate the attack within just six hours. However, Artec did not notify its employees of the incident until several months after resolving the breach. The class action alleged that Artec failed to protect their personal information through reasonable cybersecurity measures and failed to make prompt notification to its employees. The class further alleged that Artec's failures increased their risk of identity theft and fraud. Under the terms of the class action settlement, all class members are eligible for three years of credit monitoring and identity protection services and cash compensation is available for class members who suffered fraud as a result of the incident. The cash compensation is structured in tiered payments. Tier 1, up to $80 in payments for lost time at a rate of $26.67 per hour. Capped at three hours. Available to class members who provide documentation of time spent addressing the breach. Tier 2, up to $10,000 in out-of-pocket losses resulting from the breach. Available to class members for losses resulting from identity theft or other fraud enabled by access to or disclosure of the personal information. Documentation must be provided. The exclusion deadline was January the 7th, 2022 and all class members eligible for cash compensation must submit a value claim by February the 26th, 2022. Class members will have until May the 10th, 2022 to submit a request for the free credit monitoring. This settlement is just another reminder for businesses to secure and protect their systems and data and to check in with their insurance brokers to make sure that cyber incidents and data breach class actions like this are covered. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Maine in the USA now, and the Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association announced that the personal information of approximately 25,907 individuals had been compromised in a data breach. The association reported that on August 23, 2021, an unauthorised party gained access to certain files on its servers. A subsequent investigation revealed that the files may have contained the following information, names or other personal identifiers, and social security numbers. According to reports, the Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association does not know which individual's information was actually accessed and cannot confirm that the unauthorised party retained any of the information. However, anyone in receipt of a Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association data breach notification letter may now face an increased risk to identity theft and other financial losses. If it is determined that the Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association did in fact fail to properly protect consumers' data in some way, the individuals affected may be eligible to pursue compensation for their financial losses. For the association, a spokesman said, On August the 23rd, 2021, we identified unusual activity in our network. In response, we commenced an investigation into the activity to determine its nature and scope. We subsequently determined that there was unauthorised access to our network in August 2021 and that certain files may have been downloaded. In order to determine what information was contained in the potentially impacted files and to who it relates so that we could provide notification of potentially impacted individuals, we then undertook a comprehensive and diligent review of the potentially affected files which was completed on or around January the 10th, 2022. If we get any update on this from the association, we will bring it to you in the future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Conseil d'État, the highest French court, has upheld a 100 million euro fine against Doodle for failing to obtain user consent before a deposit of cookies. Doodle also reportedly lacked significant information for users about how to refuse the cookies. Doodle was sanctioned in December 2020 by the French Data Protection Authority, CNIL, who ordered them to pay two fines totalling €100 million for breaching the law on information technology, files and freedoms. 
The senior found that seven cookies were automatically placed on users' computers on initial entry onto the site, according to an investigation conducted in March 2020. Google subsequently altered their practices in August that year, but failed to clearly notify the user how to object. The Conservator have stated that the amount of fines imposed by CNIL does not exceed the limit set by the Data Protection Act, adding that these fines are not disproportionate. As Google continue their journey towards a bookiless future, reports confirm that the tech giant is planning on scrapping federated learning of cohorts, their tool to replace cookies, after complaints that they haven't done enough to safeguard users' privacy. As an alternative, Google have introduced topics, a mechanism designed to identify users by their top three interests, enabling browsers to give you meaningful transparency and control. Ben Galbraith, Google's Privacy Sandbox lead, said, Topics replaces our flock proposal, and I want to emphasise that this whole process of sharing a proposal, doing a trial, gathering feedback, and then iterating on the designs, this is the whole open development process that we wanted for the Sandbox, and really shows the process is working as intended. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Greece now, and the Greek Data Protection Authority has imposed fines of 5.85 million euros to Cosmot and 3.25 million euros to OTE for leaking sensitive customer communication due to a cyber attack. Cosmot infringed at least eight articles of GDPR, including violating its duty to inform affected customers of the true impact of the incident. OTE and Cosmot belong to the same entity, OTE Group, which is the largest technology company in Greece, offering fixed and mobile telephony, broadband and network communication services. An internal investigation conducted by Cosmot in 2020 revealed that the hacker socially engineered one of its employees through LinkedIn and later used brute forcing tools to derive the target's account credentials. According to the findings of the investigation, the adversary used a Lithuanian IP address for accessing one of OTE's servers repeatedly. The threat actor leveraged the account credentials to steal database files on five separate occasions. The size of the stolen data amounted to 48 GB. Cosmark keeps call details on its service for 90 days for service quality assurance and maintains an anonymised version of the data for another 12 months for statistical analysis that helps in targeted service improvements. As the Data Protection Authority probe discovered, the process for anonymisation wasn't properly done and the data holding periods weren't strictly respected. The compromised server contains sensitive subscriber details and call data that concerned the period between September 1, 2020 and September 5, 2020. More specifically, the exposed details included the following. Rough positional data of 4,792,869 unique Cosmot subscribers. Age, gender, plan and ARPU of 4,239,213 unique Cosmot subscribers. MSISDN CLI of 6,939,656 users of other telecommunications providers have communicated with customers of Cosmot and MSISDN, IMEI, IMSI and Connected Tower Position for 281,403 roaming subscribers of Crossmark. The above information to be used for highly targeted social engineering, phishing and even extortion. If we receive any further update on this from the Greek Data Protection Authority, we will to speak to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Back to the UK now, and you may well remember that the UK government has been running a consultation which finished on November the 19th, 2021, about the future of data post-Brexit. This week, the government revealed a few more details about what's going to be in the so-called Brexit Freedom Bill. 
that won't be the bill's actual title, that will be decided by parliamentary clerks at some point in the future, but for a working title, it's being called the Brexit Freedom Bill, which will offer a more agile way to regulate new digital markets and artificial intelligence and create a more proportionate and less burdensome data rights regime compared to the EU's General Data Protection Directive, GDPR. The bill promises to make it easier to amend or remove retained EU laws, which was left in place following the UK's departure from the EU. It is set to give ministers more power to change retained EU law more quickly than before, without necessarily needing votes in Parliament. The bill follows a policy paper from September 2021, which follows Rian Duncan Smith's new task force on innovation, growth and regulatory reform. In terms of changes to data laws beyond GDPR, the government has already launched a consultation led jointly by the Department for Culture, Media and Sport and the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy under the National Data Strategy first announced in September 2020. It's unclear how the Brexit Freedom Bill will enable interact with that strategy, although some of its more radical proposals do appear to have been watered down. Of course, this is what we were suspecting when the consultation was taking place last year. The government had originally proposed changes to Article 22 of the UK's GDPR implementation, potentially removing subjects' rights to challenge automated decisions. But Harry Lee, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, Data Protection and Data Rights Deputy Director, told the conference earlier this month that the government was looking to improve the efficiency of safeguards relating to automated decision-making rather than remove them. Whatever the government decides, it must walk the line between appearing to be independent of EU regulation and yet keeping the UK adequate as far as the EU is concerned for GDPR. Because when the EU gave us its adequacy decision last year, it did it on the basis that at any time it could revoke that adequacy decision, declare the UK to be inadequate, and that would lead to all sorts of contracts needing, well, in fact, every contract which involved data being transferred to or from the EU being rewritten, which of course would be a massive admin and legal burden on lots of UK companies. Now, some would argue that the government may feel that actually losing the electricity decision might not be such a bad thing and might be a price worth paying. However, before they go too far down that path, they should be careful because reports suggest that the Scottish and Welsh governments have expressed concern that the move would affect devolved powers and would seek a judicial review of any such decision. A government spokesman refused to give any more information and said that details of the Brexit Freedom Bill will be outlined in due course. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. An issue which we often get asked about with data subject access requests is, well, just how much information do you have to provide when somebody makes a request? Well, until now, it's been very much a question of judgment, but that has changed this week because the European Data Protection Board, DDPB, has just published its guidelines January 2022 on data subject rights, right of access guidance, which is open for public consultation until March the 11th this year. Now, the guidance itself is quite a long document. It's some 60 pages, so I'm going to attempt to summarise it in a few minutes here. The guidance contains an extensive and deep dive analysis on what would fall both within and outside the scope of a data subject access request, as envisaged in Article 15 of GDPR. The analysis takes into account the whole lifespan of the right, beginning when the controller receives a request, and potential limitations that may apply depending on certain criteria and circumstances. 
The alliance includes several sections that provide useful insight for the exercise of data subjects' rights in a broader sense. Therefore, this guidance should not only be construed as a point of reference on access requests, as its contents are relevant in respect of other rights enshrined in GDPR. So let's go back and look at Article 15 of GDPR, which is all about the right of access by the data subject. What exactly does that say? Well, it says that in the first paragraph, the data subject shall have the right to obtain from the controller confirmation as to whether or not personal data concerning him or her are being processed, and where that is the case, access to the personal data and the following information. The purposes of the processing, the categories of personal data concerned, the recipients or categories of recipient to whom the personal data may have been or will be disclosed, in particular recipients in third countries or international organisations, where possible the envisaged period for which the personal data will be stored, and if not possible the criteria used to determine that period, the existence of the right to request from the controller, rectification or erasure of personal data or restriction of processing of personal data concerning the data subject or to object to processing, the right to lodge a complaint with the supervisory authority, where the personal data is not collected from the data subject, any available information as to where it came from, and the existence of automated decision-making, including profiling, referred to in Article 22, Paragraph 1, and Article 22, Paragraph 4 of GDPR. It also covers where personal data is transferred to a third country or to an international organisation. The data subjects have the right to be informed of the appropriate safeguards pursuant to Article 46, GDPR, relating to the transfer, and the controller should provide a copy of the personal data undergoing processing. For any further copies requested by the data subject, the controller may charge a reasonable fee based on administrative costs. Where the data subject makes the request by electronic means, unless otherwise requested by the data subject, the information should be provided in a commonly used electronic form. So if that's what the regulations say, what does this new guidance say? Well, it says the right of access as envisaged under GDPR, i.e. not to be confused with the other access rights recognised under local laws or transparency obligations, has three non-alternative modalities. So the first question is the right to receive confirmation as to whether or not personal data is being processed. So it's just a yes or no, and you have no choice. You have to answer that question. The second one, though, is the right to access the personal data being processed. And this is where the guidance is interesting, because it says that up to now, access has been construed as access to the actual personal data, but it could mean a generic description of the data, or a summary of the data, or a mere reference to the categories of personal data processed by the controller. The guidance actually includes a list of the information that would be deemed as personal data for these purposes, e.g. inferred or derived data, pseudonymized data, observed data. The examples contained therein provide useful and practical tips that can be applied in various real-life scenarios. It should also be noted that the right to data portability would entail access to a more limited amount of data. And what about the right to access information on the processing on data subject rights? Well, this basically refers to the elements covered under Articles 15.1 and 15.2 of GDPR, which is generally contained within the controller's privacy notice and record of processing activities. Note, however, that such information may eventually differ from one data subject to another. Controllers must perform an initial assessment to determine what data subject is requesting. The why is not generally that relevant, and whether they actually have, have or have processed the data. Unless explicitly stated otherwise, the request should be deemed as referring to all personal data concerning the data subject, although controllers may ask for more specific in- indications if they process large amounts of data. With regard to the provision of a copy of the data, the first free copy of the data refers only to a copy of the personal data that's undergoing processing and not necessarily to a reproduction of all original documents. This will allow the data subject to be aware and verify the lawfulness of the processing performed by the controller. So in other words, let's suppose you had a copy of somebody's driving licence 
you don't have to produce a copy of that driving license again when you release the information to the data subject. You just need to say that you're holding a image of a copy of their driving license. The general principles that inform the right of access refer to completeness of the information, providing access to all data related to the data subject, including any additional requests, information to be limited when either the data subject expressly requests a subset of that data, when the information is sizable, i.e. it's large, or where exceptions to the right of access may be deemed applicable. On correctness of the information, the information has to comprise the actual personal data held about the data subject. In terms of the time reference point of the assessment, the assessment of the process data should reflect as closely as possible the actual situation at the time when the controller receives the request, and the response should cover all data available at that point. And then compliance with data security requirements, the adequate levels of security must be implemented and ensured when granting access to the personal data. One thing from the guidance which does stand out is that the guidance says it should be noted that the controller is not obliged to act on a request sent to a random or incorrect email or postal address not directly provided by the controller or to any communication channel that's clearly not intended to receive requests regarding data subjects' rights if the controller has provided an appropriate communication channel that can be used by the data subject. The controller is also not obliged to act on a request sent to the email address of a controller's employee who may not be involved in the processing request concerning data subjects' rights, for example, a driver, a cleaner. Such requests shall not be considered effective if the controller has clearly provided a data subject with appropriate communication channel. We would urge, though, always extreme caution in taking that approach. And if you have any doubt, please do refer to a specialist such as ourselves, and our contact details will be coming up at the end of this article. The guidance provides further details on how controllers should retrieve the data and reply to the access request, linking the former to the privacy by design and privacy by default principles, as well as to the transparency principle with regard to the latter. It also describes different ways to provide access to the data, not limited to the provision of a copy of, in a concise, transparent, intelligible and easily accessible form using clear and plain language. We will be taking a closer look at this guidance over the next couple of weeks, so we may well come back to this in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production. Until next time, bye-bye.